0: We are going to begin reading um, in Exodus 24, where we left off last time, and then we'll study um, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9 tonight will be our text. As we are entering a new section of Exodus, um, still studying through the whole book of Exodus, but we're, we've kind of hit um, the end of our original study, and we're going to begin something new. I think, I'm, I think you're going to enjoy it. I'm very excited about it, and it really just lines up with what we've been talking about and the vision, I think, that God has been laying on our hearts as a church this is going to be really good for us and really good for um, me as a pastor, really good for y'all as church members, just good for all of us as, as believers. Um, so uh, we've really hit the end, um, like I've said, we've hit the end of our original intent of studying Exodus. Uh, I think I originally told you earlier this year that we were going to study Exodus up until chapter 24-25. Um, we set out to study the origin of Israel as a nation. Um, And the beginning of Exodus traces their beginnings to uh, a a slave people um, who had ended up in Egypt um, because of Joseph, their ancestor. They were treated as guests of honor until there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And that Pharaoh took these people who were guests and made them slaves. And we found them as a people oppressed by Egypt. And then God rose up a deliverer named Moses. And Moses brought the people of Israel out of bondage, and they became a free people, but they became a nation, right? Um, God used the nation to reveal Himself to the world. He used Israel to show Egypt that their gods were not the one and only gods. They weren't gods at all, but Yahweh was in fact the one and only, the great I Am. God used the nation of Israel to reveal Himself to Egypt, and He would go on to use Israel to reveal Himself to the world. And that's why we're here tonight, because what God said He was going to do in Exodus 7, He did it. Right, and we've been we're a product of this movement that God started back in Exodus. Um, God led them to a mountain called Sinai in the Arabian Desert, in the Sinai Peninsula, Um, way down south. uh, God led them into the to the mountain, and at the mountain of God, He revealed Himself in full. He gave them His Word. He gave them His Law. He gave them His presence. But we're not done with Exodus. Exodus 24 really is the end of that arc from the oppressive slave camps to the glorious mountain of God. Uh, But we're not done with the book. There's still 16 chapters left of Exodus, and we're going to move right along to see what is next um, for us in this book. And this study is going to be called Sanctuary. Um, as it is about the building of a sanctuary, uh, which would be a traveling sanctuary, actually. The building of a sanctuary for God's presence and for God's people. And, and I've got to tell you, Exodus 25 through 40 has always intimidated me as a pastor. For a long time, I thought there's just no way to teach that. Um, the tabernacle is just such a time and place, and you know the, trans- the connecting it to the church is just so difficult, and it mixes with the messages. But rest assured, God always shows uh, shows that He is wiser and, and, and far uh, greater than, than we ourselves are in our own ability to interpret and understand. Um, so I've been working hard to, 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 use, to teach the Word of God in its full, and I believe these chapters really, actually, I've learned, have a great way um, uh, of applying to the church all these years later. So, some of the information is going to be repeated if you read 1 Kings, if you read 2 Chronicles. Um, A lot of the stuff from Exodus 25 to 40 is repeated there, but in a slightly different context. But otherwise, these truths are found in this portion of the Bible alone, but they clearly influence the theology and the practice that is revealed, not just in the Old Testament, but also, important for us, the New Testament. So, this section of the Bible um, is about the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle is really the proto the prototype of the temple that would come later when Solomon would build it. Um, the tabernacle would be replaced later by a permanent temple. The tabernacle is a portable temple, a portable Dwelling place for God and for His people. Uh, the overall message behind um, the tabernacle, though, is also the same one for the temple. They kind of, you know, the same information would go both ways. Um, these facilities are so crucial for ancient Israel uh, because both the tabernacle and then the temple eventually would be the epicenter for God's interactivity and God's communion with His people. So if you read the Old Testament, it's always in the tabernacle, in the tent, it's referred to as in the days of Samuel and David. It's always in the tent or it's always in the temple that God is doing His business and God is talking to people and God is moving and and, and starting this and stopping that and revealing this and showing this. So the tabernacle and the temple are so important because they are the center, the epicenter of God's activity and His interaction with people and his communion, and literally we're going to read that um, later on in Exodus, um, in this part of Exodus where he says, this is where I dwell, this is where I commune in fellowship with you, my people. So if you're wondering, how does this involve us? I've got good news. The good news is we don't only meet with God in buildings. God goes with us everywhere because He lives in our heart. But the, the, the center for worship and this center for meeting God still absolutely applies to us as Christians. And uh, this isn't just going to be a history lesson about why they did this and how they did this. The reason all this still matters and can help us is that these chapters um, reveal truth that are all about worship community and ministry because the tabernacle is all about uh, worship it's about community and it's about ministry it's about a place for worship it's about a a a a a place for community and a way to meet people and connect with people and grow with people and it's about a place that launches into ministry and all that stuff rolls over and very much applies to us as christians and as the church so uh, much of the early emphasis is about the importance of having a time and place and a platform for worship, community, and ministry, which is very important, absolutely important for the church. Right? And it may look different, and there may be some slight differences or some major differences in how they worship and how we worship, and how God experience how they experience God and how we experience God. But the reality of it is, the platform that the, the way they connect with God, the time and place set aside to connect with God, as important. As as it was for them it is so important for us as well and we can learn so much about our own calling to be the church and to do church from their uh from this text about how they were to gather to worship and gather community, for community and gather and launch into ministry so as we're going to learn um or as we get into this text we're going to learn why corporate worship is so important, and by corporate, I don't mean business. Corporate is just a word that means collective, gathering together. It's not worship in my car when I'm going down the road. It's getting together in the house, right? Getting together in a building, getting together. It doesn't matter if it's a building or in a tent or in an arbor or whatever you are, but getting together with God's people, right? Where it's just not just you and your family or you and your friends. It's you and everybody, right? Corporate worship, we're going to learn why that is so fundamental to faith, and you can't separate faith from corporate worship we're going to learn why community fellowship is so important for believers that you can't be a believer you can't function as a believer apart from the fellowship and apart from the community of other believers. And we're going to learn why organized, intentional, and effective ministry is an essential product of faith. That if you're, you have faith, and you claim to believe, and you worship, and you do this, but you aren't led into ministry of some kind, led into being a part of the ministry will of God's people, there's something missing. So we're going to learn about why these things are so important important for us, even as believers, as Christians. And we're going to extrapolate these ideas from this section, and I promise you, you, you can use these chapters. Um, are going to, these chapters are going to help us so much in our day-to-day life as Christians, in our week-to-week life as the church, in our mission as the church. And, and we're going to look for and expect three specific things from this study, from these 16 chapters. Um, we're going to learn about, we're going to find an explanation um, as to why we worship, why we gather, and why we do ministry. So as we read, you're gonna learn, we're going to learn some things that explain why we should worship, why we should gather, why we have ministry to do. Uh, we're going to learn about things we should change, things that we should refine in terms of how we worship, how we gather, and how we do ministry. We're going to come face-to-face with some things that say, hey, we should be doing it this way, or we should not do it that way. And also, we're going to have the purpose behind our worship and our gathering and ministry defined. So, there's three things to look for as we study these these few chapters. You're going to read something and say, that explains it. Or that changes it. Or maybe that defines what's behind this, defines who God is and, and how we meet and how he meets with us. So,. We're not going to cover all this tonight. This is really just kind of introduction. Um, this is all to set the tone and expectations for our study. And if you want to read ahead over the next couple of weeks, maybe you'll come to chapter 26, 27, 29. And come up to me before I get to those and say, hey, I was reading this and, and, and I think this is is this about that. Or, or prepare your heart for this because I think this is some text. These are some chapters that you probably... Are prone to skip over right you get to exodus twenty twenty four, yeah maybe i can just skip on over to leviticus and then you think oh no i'm just going to skip on over to numbers and then you think i think i'm just going to skip all over to joshua right no offense moses i'm not going to read the rest of this because i'm a little bit dense right and if you've done that listen i've done it too um and maybe you know a few chapters that you should stop along the way and say well i've read about this chapter and that chapter but overall i'm jumping to joshua and i'm going to get to the good stuff and that's okay But I encourage you to read along with this uh, because we're going to try our best to stay and and study each and every chapter as much to the verse by verse as we can. But again, we're not going to study it all tonight. We're just kind of setting the tone and hopefully give you some key ideas and touch points for when we come across these things. You'll think, okay, that's what this is about, worship, community, and ministry. So we left off in twenty-four where Moses and the elders of Israel are literally meeting with God. They're having lunch with God, and they're receiving direction and guidance from Him. And they're about to leave Mount Sinai, but before they do, God has given them specific instructions. And the instruction He gives them is how to maintain their newfound connection to God and how to build a faith community. So when they leave the mountain, 25 through 40 is explaining, here's how we can maintain this connection, and here's how we can build a community. So we got to be clear that no part of this was ever focused on just the individuals. It was always focused on the people of Israel, the whole, not just the part. This is so important because we often think it's just about how deep we can go. Right, And that's why you have some people who are so smart and so deep in their faith and a lot of people that are just kind of on the edge and they are barely in the shallow end. But God is always willing for church members to not just go deep, but to go wide. And wide as in you're alongside brothers and sisters, you're alongside other believers, and it's about the community, it's about those beside you, those below you, those ahead of you, all of us. Our team. Now of course God wants you to progress. God wants you to grow as a believer and God doesn't expect you to wait on somebody else to catch up or God doesn't expect you to get discouraged because you're not where somebody else is. He expects you individually to be devoted and to disciple as a believer should. But if there's anything clear from the Exodus story is that God is always interested in you growing together alongside your brother and your sister. Exodus is the story, above all, of God saving Israel. He doesn't just save this Jew and that Jew. When they cross the Red Sea, they are saved into a nation, right? They are spoke... God speaks to them as a nation, not as individuals. Not say they don't matter individually. They do. They're all saved, right? But they are saved into a nation. And how does that relate to us? We are saved into the church, right? So it's not that we individually don't matter. Of course you individually matter. Jesus died for you individually. He walks and talks with you individually. But there's something bigger, right? We've been saved into the church, the body of Christ. So there's an important distinction to follow. So in Exodus 24, Moses and the elders ascend the mountain to meet with God and learn how to build and foster a worshiping and ministry-minded community for God's people. So that's kind of what we're, we're, we're stepping into. Now, we didn't read all of 24 last week, so I want to read the end of that chapter so the rest of this will make sense. So Exodus 24, verse 9 through 18, just listen to the narrative, because this is just a cool story that needs to be read more often. Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, And 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like, it was very heavens in its clarity. And on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate, and they drank with him. then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, and the law, and the commandments which I have written I have written so God has written this stuff down that's pretty important right that you may teach them so I've they've already got the commandments but the rest is about the building of the community and maintaining the connection that's what is revealed in the rest of this book so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God he said to the elders wait here for us until we come back to you indeed Aaron and her are with you if any man has difficulty let him go let him go to them then Moses went up to the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on the mountain Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh, he called, Mo- called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain and the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights." So this is a pretty spectacular scene, right? Moses enters the cloud. It's a burning fire from the outside looking in. He goes to get the instruction from God and spends 40 days with God getting the instructions about how to maintain connection and build community. That's a pretty big deal that we pay attention. And you know what? I had to repent of this. That's a pretty big way to end 24 for us to not pay attention to what 25 through 40 says, right? And shame on me, shame on pastors for not talking more about this, because that's a pretty, pretty awesome scene to say, well, the rest of this isn't that, isn't that important because we're not Jews and this is, we're in the news. So I think we've got a lot to learn from this. So he's up there for all that time for a reason. And I think the guy who got face-to-face with God and had that sort of experience, and got all that information, is someone we should pay close attention to, and when they start saying, here's what you need to do, here's a checklist when it comes to being a worshiping, mission, ministry-minded community, I think we should say, well, I want to read, and I want to learn, and I want to apply all that I can. Uh, And I think the pretty logical conclusion is to say, what do we need to do to make sure we are a worshipful, ministry-minded community? of god's people so the question we've got to ask ourselves do we want to ascend to the mountain of god do we want to enter the cloud of worship do we want to understand the beauty of community and do we want to enjoy the mission of ministry the cloud of worship that is this place of rest and this place of connecting with God that can only be done when you're corporately with your brothers and sisters worshiping, singing, offering yourself to God. Understanding the beauty of community that only happens when you give yourself to the greater body that God is building and calling you to. Enjoying the fulfillment that is only found in the mission of doing ministry for those in need listen some of us we are all about what we can do i'll do this and i'll give that but we never lean into community think about how many people and this is this is where i struggle as as a as a christian not just as a pastor i'm one of the people that i love i'll do this and i'll do that and i'll give this and i'll go there but I, i i'm reluctant to lean into community and I'm reluctant to truly embrace and truly immerse myself into the body of believers worshiping and giving themselves. I'm reluctant to say I'm a part of the whole. That's, that's been a weakness of mine for a long time. That I'm all about doing this, I'm all about doing that. I love ministry, I'll do, 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 I'll go, 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 I'll give, 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 but I'm a little bit shy about community. I'm a little bit, I don't know if worship is really that important. But I'm glad, you, and listen, if that's you, I'm glad you give and I'm glad you serve, but I want you to experience the whole realm of God. I want you to take that step into community. I want you to understand the bliss of worship. Now some of us, we love hanging out, we love socializing, we love community, we love doing life with each other, we love Bible study, and we love small grouping. But we still miss the importance of corporate worship. I mean, some people, they'll hang out and they'll go and they'll do this with their buddies and their friends, all in the name of Jesus, but they don't see the importance of being in the house, right? They don't see the importance of assembling, not just with their buddies and their friends, not just with the people on their road. They don't see the benefit of everybody in the building, the corporate worship, right? Right? Listen, they don't see the benefit of, well, I'm here for the fireworks, I'm here for the food, but I'm not worried about everybody else, right? Or I don't really want to do the work. There are some people, they love the, the community part, but they miss the worship and they miss the work. And then there's some of us. We love worship. I mean, we love singing and lifting our hands up. We feel so emotional and alive in the Spirit, but we stop short of taking the word serious and committing to the church and obeying the mission. And honestly, we check out after the music stops. And unless the music engages us, we really wonder if we're wasting our time. So you see... How some of us, we get one of these things, but we don't think the others are that important for us. And maybe you amen at that part where, yeah, I, you know it's, you don't, it's not just about showing up, it's about leaning in. Maybe you amen at the part about, hey, you need, to, you need to understand what worship is all about. Maybe you think, hey, well, those people need to be more about work and not just about socializing. Or those people need to be more about obedience and not just about worship. Or those people need to quit telling me to do, 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 and they need to learn how to worship and do community. Maybe you're one of those people that you kind of see where others are weak but maybe you need to look in the mirror and say, you know what, what am I missing? Because I love the music, or I love the preaching, or I love the community, but I'm still one missing one or the other. And maybe, maybe, you're not getting everything you can out of this because we haven't admitted that there's room to grow. We all may be missing out in some way, some form. Listen, you don't have to. What lies before us so much, and I pray, I, let us pray that God would reveal his whole counsel to us and open his entire realm up to us. Listen, the church should not be divided into the workers and the worshipers and the socializers because there's plenty that are in one of the categories, but we should be in all of them. It's okay to be wired or inclined one way or the other. There's, it's okay to have a gift in that or, a ta- or an idea for that, but We should not dismiss ourselves from one or the other. So let's open our hearts up to what God might say to us. And he's already said a whole lot, I think. But Exodus 25 gets things started in a pretty big, intense way as God talks about opening up and pouring out. So let's read Exodus 25 through 1 through 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. First thing God asks for is an offering. Now, it's not maybe what you thought it was going to be, but it might be what you're thinking as well. So don't want to disappoint you either way. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Well, I don't have any gold, silver, or bronze. But wait, there's more. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat's hair. Well, I don't have any goats there. What about ram skin, dyed red, badger skins in ac- 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 acacia wood? I don't have any. Okay, what's acacia wood? I don't have any badger skin. But you might have some oil, or you might have some spices, or you might have some incense. I don't have any of that stuff. You might have some onyx stones, or stones to set in the ephod, in the breastplate. So you, you see how there's plenty of room and plenty of ways that people can contribute. Now, we focus on the, verse 3, because we focus on this gold and silver and bronze, because that's what pays the bills, but there's other things that God is asking for, right? Verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary. So why is he asking for all this stuff? Let them, y'all, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you, dwell among them. So what does God say is the gateway, or is in the way, or in between them experiencing him? It's their gift, their contribution, their offering. Now, verse 9, According to all that I will show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all its furnishing, just so you shall make it. So, this section about building and becoming a worshiping, ministry-minded community for God begins with a call for everyone to contribute. Now, don't check out. There's always an offering of some kind, isn't there? That's just You read the Bible everywhere you look. There's an offering, there's an altar, there's a sacrifice, there's a giving of something. Now, first things first. They were slaves in the desert. What did they have to contribute? Well, don't forget this little nugget. We've read so far in Exodus a couple times. Exodus 3. God says, I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty. So God told Moses that early on. He said, hey, y'all are going to go out in the desert and build me a house. And Moses is like, how are we going to build you a house? We're poor. We're slaves. We're leaving the country. He says, don't worry. And then, before they crossed the Red Sea, Exodus, 20, Exodus 12 tells us, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So they walked out of Egypt with all the stuff that verse 3 through 7 says they were supposed to give. Now, when I bet when they left Egypt, they thought, "Woohoo, look at all the stuff we've got. And then God says, You know why I told y'all to ask for that? Because I needed it. But they thought it was theirs but they got it because God gave them favor. So there's something, this isn't about God taking favor or taking joy from them. This is about fulfilling that joy. Now, God is asking them to take into account, take into account anything that God has put into your hands and contribute it to community. What has God given you that he says, hey, it's not just for you? I know you think it's just for you and I know that you think it's best used for you, but I think I gave it to you for a bigger purpose than that and you think it's good and you can where in your hands but what could it do in my hands see how this directly works against the individual deep over wide mentality all of these everyday household items would play a part in creating a house for God and his people for ministry to operate by I think what we can learn from this is for believers for children of God we don't give God 10 and keep 90 for ourselves Right? We don't just visit God on Sunday and have the rest for ourselves. We don't just check a box and satisfy God and get back to the rest of our lives. That's not what God is saying in this text. He's not saying, give me a little bit. A true believer sees everything as an opportunity to invest more into God's kingdom. A true believer, someone who gets it and wants to experience God, they aren't possessive over time, money, or self-interest. They see the opportunities to build something greater and do something greater. They see the value in making the community of worship and ministry the best it can be because that's where their true joy and fulfillment is found. As a pastor, that's how I know if somebody's qualified to serve or lead in any capacity. That is my litmus test. I I, I, I ask people, or I ask God, is God just a category for that person? I mean, is it just, you know, I vote this way, and I dress this way, and I drink this way, and I eat this way, and I pray this way? Is God just a category? More importantly, is He just a means to some lesser end for you? Is He just... A means for you to have the best country you can have and the best wallet you can have and the best house you can have and have the most trophies. You know, there's that parable that Jesus tells of this rich man and the Jews thought anybody that was rich was blessed. And if you were rich, you were godly, right? The prosperity people still do this. They thought when Jesus told this parable about this guy who had all the stuff he could want and he was so rich he had to tear his barn down and he had to rent another barn to hold the stuff until he could build a bigger barn, right? He had to rent barns to put his stuff in those barns because he tore his barn down and he built a bigger barn because he had bigger barn syndrome, right? And he just kept building bigger barns and he thought, man, God has been so good to me and everyone's thinking, yeah, God is so good to this man. He's so rich and we wish we could be as blessed as this guy. And in the parable, as Jesus is telling this story, everybody's just thinking, man, this is such a godly man. And at the point in the story, they're thinking, wow, this guy is so godly. The man says to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Just kick back, relax, eat and drink and be merry. And the people listening to Jesus think, wow, we cannot wait until Jesus makes us like this guy. And they're thinking Jesus is about to end this parable saying, and this is the picture, this is the poster boy for the kingdom. But that's not how the story goes, is it? God actually says to the man, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, in the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus does a spin on the story and says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God, as in has not given to God but has kept for himself. That's my litmus test. If God is a category, that's how we'll live. And we'll think, look at what God has given us. He's so happy with me. He's so proud of me, right? Is God just a means to an end? Or or is God, or does every category, and does every category intersect and overlap with God? Are you seeking to be a means to a greater kingdom-minded end for him? That's what qualifies you for service. That's what makes you a true follower and truly blessed. See, some people they really want to show up on Sundays and be entertained. They want to socialize. Others want to say, well, I've done this, look at me. But they want to hold the rest back for themselves and never truly give themselves in. But those who get it, those who want to ascend and dwell in the realm of God, they see the value in worship of inequality or kind they see how engaged they can become with others and God they see the value in giving and seeing serving because of how it pleases God and helps others they see the joy in community loving and learning more about each other they see what verse 8 talks about and they say, they know that for God to maximize his presence and power in our midst we've got to bring what he's given us and give it to his community And it's not about what you bring, it's about how you bring it. It's about the posture of your heart. Invest in yourself. Remember Jesus, not a parable, but a real story, a real historical account. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. But he saw a woman, a poor widow, putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Well, no, she hasn't. I mean, they put in hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. She put in two pennies. But he says, says, listen, God does not count the zeros. He counts the percentage. And this woman put in more than they because she put in all that she had. So, what is the percentage of all? Come on, y'all. Ten percent? Is that it? no? hundred, right? All isn't just a little percent. It's everyone. So I got to ask you, because you know I got to. What percentage of your time, of your life, of your money and mind is dedicated to God? You're planning. Your mind space. What percentage? It might be different in every category and you might not know exactly the percentage. I don't know. But let me say this. If you only, if you limit, if you think, well, I just give a little bit and that's all i got to give or i got to do a little bit, that's all i got to do. Could you be missing something? Let me show it to you this way. See, if I give God 10% of me, 10% of my time, my money, my life, my resources, whatever, See, I've got 90% still it's all about me. And I've got to think, you know, what if, what if I just start giving God a little bit more? I mean, what if I just start giving God 40 instead of just 10? And I mean, but there's still 60% of me going on, right? And I don't like the way that looks because I don't think with me being the majority of that chart, I don't think that's going to end well. So what if I gave God a little bit more? What if I gave him 70 and I, you know, I still got 30 of me in there and then the more I think about it, you know, well that's still too much of me. I mean, so what if I just give God 90? I like that. Because God has all of a sudden taken up residence in me. And I still got time to do what I need to do and get done what I get it, need to get done. And truth be told, that's still 10% too much of me. See what I'm saying? See what's going on here? The more room I make, the more room God can take. And I like that, don't you? And that's where the good, that's where the joy comes. So our attitude as a church, it doesn't just get a pass because we're holy and it's a building, right? We as a church have to ask, are we giving God the room to be God? Or are we just giving Him a little space up here at the altar? (laughs) Or a little bit of time at the end? We have to constantly say to God, it's all yours. How can we utilize it for worship and community and ministry? Because what are we building after all? What is the goal of this? To build a sanctuary. And what is a sanctuary? A place and time for rest and refuge where we come out of ourselves and get to God. And worship is about finding rest, it's not about being hyped up or entertained. People tell me all the time, I want to be hyped up. Worship is not about getting hyped or entertainment. Worship is about proclaiming God's promises and letting our minds be changed by His truth. It's about saying what God is all about. It's about speaking those things into existence, singing those things out louder than the voices that say otherwise. It's about proclaiming who God is and finding rest in Him. And community is about maintaining rest. Not about having this or that to do and being busy and going, going, going. It's about having people to love and be loved by, having a family that accepts and embraces and helps. And ministry is about sharing that rest. Going Going to far extents to share with others what God has shared with us. That's what it means to be a sanctuary. We find rest, we maintain rest, and we give it. That's our goal. That's our mission. But what does chapter 25 tell us we've got to do to get there? We've got to come together. We've got to give to the whole from the parts. And the more we do that, the more room we make, the more room God takes. And that's where we find rest. Rest. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you and I'm thankful that there is rest found in you. Father, thank you that we as a church strived and are given an opportunity to show the world that they can find rest in you, they can maintain rest in you, and that they can share rest with those that haven't found it yet. God, we as a church we realize that just because we're a building with a steeple and crosses all over the place, that doesn't mean we get a pass. That doesn't mean we're this by default. We've got to examine ourselves. Are we giving you the room to be God? Are we giving? Are we contributing? Are we offering ourselves, our lives, our everything, our place, our land, our resources? Are we giving you the place to be the God that you claim to be and the God that can give the rest that we need? God, let us consider, are we a worshiping, ministry-minded community? Father, help us to examine our lives, and as we study this book of Exodus, help us to see what we can do to be a more worshipful, a more ministerial, a better community after your image, so that you might make your presence known in a greater way than ever before in this house. And in our hearts. God, we thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.